Today we're taking on part three of our Engagers series. And our text comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12. We're talking today about uh, engaging, uh, engaging the world, engaging the community, engaging everybody that's not in here. So week one, we talked about being God chasers. Week two, we talked about engaging the church. And this is our final in the little three-week mini-series, and we're talking about engaging the world. And, um, and so I want to say that uh, engaging the community for us as a church is not going to be uh, program-based in the sense that the most effective means of engaging the community is going to be all of us taking the gospel to our spheres of influence, to where, we, to where we play, to where we work, to where we live, and bringing the gospel with us and, and reaching the people in, in, our commun- in, in your community, in our community. Make sense? We can have all the big events we want in the world, but even statistics bear out that personal evangelism is much more fruitful than big event evangelism. Uh, or, you know, we, we're going to have a bunch of people here on, on Easter Sunday, and it's going to be a celebratory thing. Um, but most people don't come to Christ just because they showed up at the big meeting. They come to Christ because somebody invited them and walked them through the steps and showed them what Christ looks like, showed them what it looks like to be a believer in normal life, kind of day-to-day kind of stuff. And so uh, evangelism engage, or, or engaging the world needs to be an extension of our individual lives, not just expecting everybody to show up at big events. Uh, if we, if we rely on big events, we get passive and we wait for the church's next big event. Uh, you know, now, now don't hear me wrong. I, I just talked about Easter and we want to invite the whole world to come to Easter. We want to do that. But that's not the full work of engaging our community. Are you with me? Um, so let, let's look at this in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12. God says through Paul, for our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience that we have behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not with earth, earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely, to, supremely so toward you. Jesus, help us today to lay hold of your grace in Jesus' name. Amen. So he says, our boast is this. Now, it's kind of confusing because you, like in other places, Paul's like, I chose to know nothing. I will boast only in my weakness. And here he is, he's like, I'm boasting. But the great news is if you keep reading this sentence, you realize that he's not actually boasting about himself. He's actually boasting on the grace of God, right? And so we'll, we'll see that in just a moment. But I wanted to offer us that context so we don't get too judgmental of, of Paul before we actually hear what he has to say. He says, we behaved in the world with simplicity. Some of the manuscripts actually have the word holiness instead of simplicity. Here's a neat little aside about the Bible. The way it was put together is we've got all these manuscripts and and letters and and we, 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 people a lot smarter than me, pull them together and they look at them and they compare them and they contrast them and they they come up with, they're able to piece together the, the full the full picture, right? It's kind of like if I, if I tore up a piece, like a, 
a page of the Bible and I, and I threw it on the ground. We'd, we'd look at it and we'd pull it all together and we'd piece it together and we'd, we'd end up with what we've got, right? I'm really broad stroking this. Um, but some of the early man, some of the manuscripts actually have a word that they, that they, they decided to translate it to be holiness instead of simplicity. Now here, this is just an aside. I love this about the Bible. That's why I wanted to say this. I love that the Bible puts the asterisks in there. It says, hey, just so you know, some manuscripts see it this way. Because if we had something to hide as believers, if the Bible had something to hide, if the Bible wasn't really something we could trust, they would have hidden that 2,000 years ago. Well, 1,500 years ago. Right? They would have been like, oh, we got a problem. Our manuscripts don't line up. Burn it. <laughs> right? You're going you're gonna to hide the paper trail. You're going to light that thing up. And all of a sudden, problem solved. I love the apparent contradictions in Scripture for that exact reason. Because if we had something to hide, we could have hidden it. Right. I'm excited about that because I believe the Bible. And, I, and I, so I love the things that, that cause people to get bent out of shape because I'm like, hey, you know this idea that you've got, this thing that's got you so mad? You're not the first person to talk about it. We've been talking about this for 1,500 years and we're keeping it there because we believe this is true and it'll stand on its own and it'll stand forever. So, so that's what's exciting to me. One of the cool places where this happens, and this was my, my life group, we were, we were talking and somebody was like, hey, you know where Philip goes to the eunuch? And he's like, you know, uh, and started talking about what happens. And I was like, I don't, I don't remember that. And I was kind of embarrassed because I, I, I remember the account that the person was talking about. But in Acts chapter 8, um, verse, actually, I'd tell you to turn there, but it might not be in your Bible. Acts chapter 8, verse 37, may or may not be in your version of the Bible. All right? Now, this is why this is great news. There's an asterisk there to tell you. Now, the Bible was broken into chapters in the 12th century, and it was, the verses were added in the 16th century so that it could be broken up more easily into bite-sized pieces, right? It wasn't like the authors weren't like, oh, here's a, we'll just place this right here in the middle of this sentence. Um, they also didn't write the subheadings, right? So the subheadings aren't translated. That's just people are like, hey, it'd be helpful to let people know the next four paragraphs or so are kind of about this. But, um, but in Acts... Chapter 8, verse 36, it says, And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here's the water. What prevents me from being baptized? And then it goes straight to verse 38. That's why I'm, I'm glad there's a footnote. The footnote, in some versions of the Bible, it's probably in the King James, and I think it's in the New American Standard Version, it includes this. And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So did it happen or didn't it happen? Well, here's the good news. And I'm way off script. Here's, here's, so did it happen or did it happen? I don't know. I'm just glad that it says, hey, this may have happened. Now, here's the thing. The, 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 the narrative of Scripture doesn't change. The message of the gospel doesn't change. There's nothing uh, lost by not including it in there, which is probably why some translators have said, ah, this manuscript says this, this one says this, I'm going with this. And they had to make a choice, but they told us about the choice they made. Yeah. That just makes me so happy. Pastor Eddie, I, I'm probably, he's probably dying on the inside. Is that okay? Is this fair? 
Okay, good. If you said thumbs down, we'd have a problem. But, um, but yeah, so, so are you seeing? So I'm, it just makes me so confident in the Bible. And I guess if nothing else, I want you to leave today confident in the Bible. Because, because if we're not confident in the Bible, if we're not confident about what we're about to read, then we could be reading from People Magazine and it wouldn't make any difference. Be like, hey, let's go be better people with, I don't even know what People does. What does People Magazine do? Um, I don't know. Don't take advice from People Magazine. Take advice from the Bible. Tweet that. Hashtag. <laughs> ah, y'all are fun. Um, okay, so in five minutes, I believe that Paul was not just telling us how he behaved. And he wasn't just telling the Corinthians how to behave and how to walk and how to act. He was also laying out some roadmaps for us in our Christian life. He's saying, I behave this way and this is how I can testify of God's grace and this is how I can assure you that the message that I brought wasn't my own message, but I was trying to teach you about the kingdom of heaven. I was trying to proclaim Christ. I was not doing it from selfish ambition or for any other reason, but I was doing it. I was doing it simply to reflect the glory of God. There's this really neat, so, so we, we are to behave, in, to behave in the world or engage the world with simplicity, sincerity, and um, as beneficiaries of God's grace, it he. Just. <laughs> like hickory dickory mo. It just. So, um. So here's the thing about operating in simplicity as we engage the world. There are a lot of studies that show that a lot of options aren't actually helpful. A lot of options actually create stress for the buyer. And so if you go into a store with lots of options for Tylenol, like Walmart, I can't go to Walmart. I've got no problem with Walmart except for the shelves. It's overwhelming. My wife will send me for Tylenol. And it's like, do you want all 30 kinds? Because I don't know how to do this. And, and the, the, the options are overwhelming. Now, here's the, the other side effect. I finally picked the Tylenol, and I feel bad about the Tylenol I chose. And so I'm driving home, and I'm like, I don't know if I got the right Tylenol or not. And I regret my decision immediately after I paid for it. I probably got the expensive kind. You know, and, and it's the wrong kind because my kids don't have hay fever. They've got something else. And, you know, so, so like you bring it home. And so options actually stress us out at the time of making the choice. And then we feel regret, regret on the back end. So when Paul talks about he, lives, he lived with simplicity, it's because he came with one purpose and he knew what that purpose was. If we're going through our life and we're trying to decide what my purpose is in each thing, we're going to live a very stressed out life. But if we know that we live for the glory of God in all things, all of a sudden life gets a little bit easier because our options are fewer. I don't have to decide, am I going to watch that raunchy movie or this raunchy movie or stay home this week? I'm staying home this week. Do I have to do this? Do I have to do this? Or do I have to do this? Well, if I'm living for the glory of God, if I'm living for his kingdom, if I'm living to, to best reflect his love to me and through me to the world, then that makes my options easy. I can live with simplicity because I don't have multiple motivations. 
I won't have multiple motivations in why I pray for you or why I get lunch with you or why we talk in the hallway. There is no other motivation. I want you to experience the love and the power and the transforming love of Christ in your life. I want you to be transformed by the grace of God. That's what I want. That's all I want for you. And there is no other motivation. And that makes it really easy to decide, should we do this or should we do that? Makes it simple to decide. Now, ease is another thing. <laughs> Bishop Van Gaten, a guest pastor at Grace, once said, uh, the, the gospel is profoundly simple and simply profound, but it's not easy. It's not easy. So the choice can still be hard because maybe I want to see that movie that I shouldn't see. Shouldn't see. Right? But it's simple in that it's as clear as night and day. Okay, we have to keep moving. Um, we operate. Well, let, let me say this. Jesus best exemplified this. Paul did well in following Jesus' Jesus's example. Jesus did it best. Jesus lived with simplicity best. He said, I only do what I see the Father doing. I say what, I, what, the, what the Father said. Like he, he only did the will of God. Now, some people would say, hey, that, that means that he wasn't God or he wasn't divine because he's, he's appealing to a higher power or a higher authority, so he must not be divine if he's saying, I'm only doing what he's doing, so that means I'm not divine, except that nobody can do perfectly the will of God but God himself. And so in, in kind of a backdoor way, he's like, hey, I'm only doing this perfectly perfect because I'm God. But because he didn't say it the way that we wanted him to say it, we're like, oh, he's not God. He's talking about following God. No, no, he, he was like, I'm perfectly perfect. And I'm doing what I see the Father doing, and that's all I do. I do some of what I see the Father doing. Should I not? Oh, come on, man. We'll have a foundations class on amening. No. I'll bait you sometimes. He was agreeing for himself. <laughs> our best effort to do what we see the Father doing, our best effort to do what we see Jesus doing, our best effort to do what we know we're supposed to do is only as good as our best effort to do what we know we should do. Right? We, we've all agreed that we're going to be healthier. See how I changed the language? I went from I'm challenging you to be healthier to we've all agreed that we're going to be a healthier a year from now than we are today. I failed this week. I failed last night. It was good though. I'm just saying our best effort is only as good as our best effort, but it'll never be perfect. And Jesus was. So we, we looked at Jesus who did this perfectly. We looked at Jesus who did it perfectly for himself to fulfill the law so that he could die and resurrect from the dead. But we also see, so we see him as our example. We see him as our model, but we also see it as the one who did it on our behalf. We do this with sincerity. We didn't mix up anything to trick you. There was no trickery here, Corinth. I did this with full integrity, with full sincerity, with godly sincerity. Like with, so in the fear of God with sincerity. And that is a beautiful thing when you can take someone at their word. Yes, it 
It is a beautiful thing when you can look and you can say that was, that was sincerity and it, and it was truthful um, and, and I can trust what's coming from them because they, there wasn't a hidden agenda. There was no pretense in it. Not with earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God. We are to act in the world as beneficiaries of the grace of God. Iti. The grace of God enables us to live with the simplicity and sincerity that is honoring to him. I read a book recently that described us as a glove that's being told to move these speakers. So we tell the glove, glove, move these speakers back to the back of the stage. And the glove doesn't move the speakers. So we think, oh, maybe I should tell the glove how to move the speakers. Glove, move these speakers by grabbing onto the handle and pulling it to the back of the room. And the glove still doesn't do it because we recognize, we know that the glove is actually just a vessel to hold a hand, which can do the work of moving the speaker to the back of the stage. We're like that glove. We're like that glove in that we, we understand the mission to some extent. As we read this and as we talk about living a life of simplicity and living a, a life of sincerity, it's like, we, we, I've told you what to do. Go do it. But our own effort will fall short unless the Spirit of God fills us by His grace to be able to do the thing that He's called us to do. It's, it's, not, it's not an excuse not to try because we have to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. And this is where the glove analogy falls apart. The glove doesn't have a choice. It's just moved. It's, it, it has no option in the matter. As God fills us, we have, we have this, this confusing thing called free will where we decide by the decisions that we make, how available am I going to be to the move of God and to the refining of God and to the, to the pleasure of God and to the work of God in my life. And so we've got, we've got that tension. But it starts with a declaration of faith and a declaration of expectation that, God, I am available to be used how you would have me be used. Use me to your glory. Help me to live a life of simplicity and a life of sincerity. And then we have to make ourselves available to that and, and cooperate with him when that moment comes. A note about simplicity, and then, and then I'll close. Um, the, um, Pastor Jim Critcher preached here in January, and he talked about Jubilee, in the year of Jubilee, and he tied Jubilee to simplicity, okay? So a key to this year of Jubilee, and you've got to go back and listen to the messages. I'm sorry, I can't get background, um, but he tied it to simplicity. Now, I think that's brilliant to tie Jubilee to simplicity because uh, the idea of Jubilee is that all debts are forgiven at a certain point. So whatever loans you have are forgiven and whatever indentured servitude you have is forgiven and everything's restored back to where it was supposed to be and it's like you start fresh, right? If that's going to happen, you make very different decisions about what you're going to borrow and about what you're going to give. It simplifies things greatly, right? 
And so this, this idea of, of simply living is being clear about what your priority is, but it, but it also, it's, it's understanding how are my decisions going to affect the, uh, you know, the other people and how does this, how does this all fit together? And, and there was this filter that everything that they prop, like every businessman would have thought through is a jubilee's coming. Is this, is this something that I want to invest? Is this something that I want to agree in? Is this something that I want to lock into? Is this something that I want to, to bind myself to knowing that, that you know, this, this evening out is coming? But we need to live with simplicity. Um, God is making us into a spiritual people. We are his agents of peace and hope and joy. We are his ambassadors is what the Bible calls us of the kingdom. And we represent him to one another and to the world. And I believe that if we can do this with sincerity and simplicity, as we can do this with God, with Christ living through us, I do believe that we'll impact this community. I do believe that as we do it, it, not only will your life be changed, because as, we, as we're used by God, we're changed by God, but I believe that we'll have the opportunity to see many people's lives changed as well. And it's not a clean, just don't, don't mistake me, it's not a clean, easy process. It wasn't for you, was it? It isn't for you, is it? But as long as, as, long as we're, we're doing these things for the glory of God, to bring honor to him. I believe, that, I believe that he'll be pleased. And he'll shine on us. And he'll refine us. And he'll make us into uh, a, a unique and remarkable people in the community.